I was taking a walk earlier this morning around my neighborhood, and there's a uh, a beautiful creek nearby my house, and it's empty most of the time, unless it rains really hard, then it, it gets crazy. But when it's empty, it's really cool. It's like a creek bed that you can walk through, and it's just such a beautiful experience. It really is. It's so quiet. You can hear the the cracking of the sand underneath your shoes every time you take a step. And today, especially, there was there's some plant. I got to look it up, but it's this plant that grows around here. I live in Arizona. We actually have a lot of variety of different plants here, even though it's technically the desert. But there's this plant that has this type of flower. It's like a blooming... I don't even... It's like a piece of cotton. It's almost like little mini mini dusters that are blossoming from this plant. And they're so soft. It's literally like petting a dog. It was the weirdest thing. I'd never taken notice of this plant before. And on top of that, it releases these soft little, whatever they are, I'm guessing there's some kind of seed, you know, but they have a, they look like fur, they look like little cotton balls or something. And it releases them into the air. And so it looks like it's snowing. You know, and right now, Arizona <laughs> never really snows, at least not in Phoenix. And it was just such a magical moment, you know, just walking through this creek. But it was also, you know, I don't want to say lonely because I didn't feel lonely. I love being out in nature, whether it's alone or with somebody else. But it's it's a lonesome path, right? And it's just, it was just me in the creek there. And it was really, um, it reminded me of this idea of walking on the path toward the truth. And what does that mean? And the, the reality is the truth is a lonely road. Truth is a lonely path. And I thought back to my younger days. I mean, I'm still technically young, 37 at the time of this recording. But, you know, when you're in your 20s, when you're a teenager, when you're looking for social needs being met, right? Being important, having friendships. You, you often would rather be in good company on the path to nowhere than alone on the path to truth. I'm going to say that again. Really think about that. You'd rather be in good company but on the path to nowhere than to be alone on the path to truth. And I think that changes. You know, I think that it doesn't always change for everybody. It's not like there's a particular time in your life when that changes. Because I know people who are in their 50s, you know, or 60s or whatever, and they're still in the mindset of, I'd rather be in good company going nowhere. You know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, you should have friends. You should have great relationships and, you know, social time. <laughs> it's important. But the question is... You know, can you have both? I, I believe so. I believe you can have both on the path to truth and having good company. But the reality is, the reality is that the more on the path of truth you walk, generally speaking, the smaller that company is. Because most people prefer to be in good company on the path to nowhere. And... And that's a big shift in your life when you when you can get to that point spiritually where you're okay being alone 
as long as you're on the path to truth because the truth will set you free and when you do find the truth and you continually discover it every day you realize that you you aren't really that alone you know god is there god is all around us he's guiding our every move if we allow ourselves to be guided and he wants the best for you he loves you unconditionally you are infinitely precious to god and so you aren't alone you know being alone is is an illusion but certainly you know we are social animals we were created to be social animals and so it can be challenging and, you know, I, I don't know that I have an immediate answer for that in the sense that in my own life, I felt a lot of connections with people that I valued, even, you know, really good friends, sort of um, not entirely disappear. Some people have disappeared, but, you know, get sort of diluted, right? Like how you dilute something in water. It's like they, they become weaker, they weaken, you know, ultimately... When you think about a friendship that you have, what do you, what strengthens that relationship? Any kind of relationship, right? It's part of it is your past, you know, your context, your history. I have some friends that I've known for 20 years or more, even though we don't really hang out that much. It's it's that context of all that time that, you know, is one of the strongest foundations of our relationship. And then you have things that you do on a regular basis. You know, people that you meet up with for various reasons, maybe people you work with, people, you know, and so on and so forth. And so as those things change, you know, as you start to shift and and find out the truth, inevitably a lot of things happen. One of them is you start becoming less attached to the material world and all the nonsense that, that is out there, right? And so most people are attached to the material world. And so the result of that misalignment is that you have less to talk about to people. You have less things that you're interested in mutually. People prefer to talk about, you know, what show they watched on Netflix or, you know, some sort of thing with, you know, money or material goals or something they're buying or something that they are complaining about. You know, it's just this material concern. And you'd rather, you know, talk about what you are struggling spiritually or what you found that really helped you spiritually. You know, those kind of conversations are hard to find with most people because they are uncomfortable. They are, they require vulnerability and most people don't want to be vulnerable. You know, it's to, to address, for example, your nature here as a human being in the sense of you know, questions like, what do you believe and why? why? Why do you believe what you believe? You know, depending on your background, you're either going to believe some sort of pagan idea about how we got created. You're going to believe, you know, the, the Christian way of how we got created. You're going to believe, you know, so even science, you know, for example, we look at science and you know, somebody says, well, you know, we came from the Big Bang and, and evolution. Well, do you really think that that's scientific? I'm not going to get into it in this talk, but, you know, do you really think that that's scientific? The answer is actually no. The answer, if you really do your due diligence, is that these beliefs are very occult. And they don't, they don't have any science behind them. In fact, they're, they're extremely occult. And the people who were platformed to, you know, to support these beliefs, they're all occult practitioners, mystics, right? So why do you believe what you believe? That's a question. 
that most people don't ask themselves. And as you do ask yourself that, it, it separates you from most people because most people don't question what they believe. You know, another one is, what do you do about death and suffering? What do you do? I mean, these are fundamental human problems that, that we have to have answers to if we want to be spiritually free. You have to have an answer to these things. But most people prefer to avoid, you know, that. Like they might say, oh, well, you know, we just die, whatever. And that's kind of their their way of circumventing an actual discussion about it because that's not really what they believe. You don't really believe that we just die and that's it. You know, because if you did, you would be living your life differently. You know, um, and, and if that's the case, how do you know that we just die and that's it? Where do you get your belief system from? Again, why do you believe what you believe? Very simple question. You know, and if you really ask these types of questions, you realize the, the answer is not so straightforward. You know, somebody who believes, for example, that we just die and that's it. So, you know, live your best life now type of deal. Meaning, you know, be in the material world or whatever that means. You know, where do you get that belief from? Because I'll tell you what, atheism is a new idea. It's only a couple centuries old. For the large for the rest of human history, which is, you know, thousands and thousands of years, we have been spiritual creatures. You know, the evidence for atheism is just not there culturally in our history. Um, and even neuroscience, I mean, can confirm that. You know, there's plenty of scans showing that atheists don't actually believe that there is no God. It's a really forced mentality when it comes down to it. It's not natural. We are programmed. There are genes. There are certain parts of the brain that all have to do with spiritual experiences. Then you have things like, you know, near-death experiences. How do you explain that? How do you explain there's such a vast amount of literature on near-death and shared-death experiences, if you know what that is. It's like when somebody was with somebody that was having a near-death experience and they experienced something too. I mean, there's something going on with our consciousness that obviously goes beyond this transition we call death, right? And so, so if you munch on that a little bit and you say, well, well, what could it be? What are some possible explanations? You know, what have been the explanations that have been offered to us? Well, there's the Christian approach. There's, you know, there's various pagan approaches. There's, you know, other religions. So, you know, you start doing your due diligence on these things and and in general, it just pulls you away from the material world because the more you research, the more you learn, the less you have to talk with other people, most people, I should say, not other people, but most people who don't do these things, you have less to talk about. And, you know, what it comes down to is this difference between truth and knowledge, right? I mean, what is truth? You ever thought about that? Because there's a lot of things that we know and we can learn like, for example, 2 plus 2. Hopefully you know what 2 plus 2 equals. It's 4, right? So, but, but here's the question. You know that's a fact. It's an undisputable fact. Law of the universe, right? But now, would you die for that knowledge? If the government suddenly said, you know what? We have decided that 2 plus 2 equals 5, and we're going to kill anybody who disagrees with us. <laughs> Which, by the way, is pretty much what's happening right now. But in either case, if the government suddenly did that, 
would you die for that knowledge? Would you say, no, I'm standing, you know, I'm an anti-fiverr. It's four. Four is the real answer. That's the truth. And, you know, it sounds like such a ridiculous idea, doesn't it? But there's a point here. The point is that nobody, probably nobody would die for that information. Even though it's a fact. Even though it's true, right? But it's not truth. And truth with a capital T is what I'm talking about here. So what is the difference? Well, truth with a capital T is something that gives you spiritual life. It feeds you. It, it gives you strength. It's worth dying for. Right? It's worth dying for. Really, ultimately, that's what it is. I mean, obviously, none of us want to die uh, or, you know, have be tortured or whatever. But ultimately, truth with a capital T is worth dying for. And that makes it very different than knowledge because no amount of knowledge that you acquire, you know, today we are so obsessed with with acquiring strategies and knowledge and secret knowledge and just so much stuff that isn't material to your spiritual development. You know, I mean, whether you look in the personal growth movement, you look in the new age movement, you look in, you know, anywhere really where there's this hunger for this pursuit of knowledge or secret knowledge or esoteric knowledge or any kind of knowledge, right? I mean, there's, would anybody die for that knowledge, right? And the question is, probably not, you know, but for example, compare it to people who have died for Jesus, because they knew he was the truth. There's plenty of that, right? And and there's other examples of that too, not just in Christianity. But the point is, is that truth with a capital T, there is an objective truth out there. And that's up to you to do your due diligence on and, and research. But the point is, is that knowledge is pointless. <laughs> Knowledge is is useful up until a point, but really the things that really light us on fire and that matter is truth with a capital T. And that that's spiritual knowledge. You know, that's the kind of knowledge that creates morality. Right? What is morality? Well morals are you know, having a sense of right and wrong, courage, generosity, gratitude, character, right? So those are the kind of things that come from truth of the capital T. And the difference, essentially, the difference is truth with a capital T, which leads to spiritual knowledge, which leads to morality, is sourced and based in humility. This is very important. Knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge and these esoteric knowledge and strategies and, you know, hacks and all this kind of stuff, ultimately all it does Sure, can it create results in your life? Yes, it can create material results in your life. But does it make you a better person? Does it make you, you know, a more generous or grateful person? Not most of the time. Most of the time it just gives you more things to think about, more things to plan, you know, more future to live into and to be in your head all the time and to measure constantly rather than being happy with what is, rather than being humble. And so all this knowledge is really about the self. It is about pride. 
Whether you realize it or not, I mean, these types of things fuel your pride. And what that means is they don't solve the problem of suffering and death. All they do is attach you more to the physical world or attach you more to the worship of yourself or, you know, just false, false paths that aren't worth dying for. Anybody with, you know, I mean, any big guru that you know right now, I, I always use this example. I'm not only always, I kind of recently thought of it, but it's a great example. You know, you take any religious leader, any business guru, anybody who you know, you know, like a politician, right? <laughs> and you offer them the chance to be, you know, you or I should say, you should offer the chance. You say, here's an ultimatum. Either you continue doing what you're doing, but if you're going to do that, we have to crucify you, shame you, beat you, you know, the works. And would you do that for your people? Or if not, then you have to abdicate your, you know, role forever. You can never be in office again. You can never be in religion again. You can never be in business again, whatever. Right? So it's one or the other. And I can guarantee you, I wouldn't be surprised that probably most of the people, if not all, wouldn't do it. They wouldn't go through that. They wouldn't die, especially, you know, be crucified. Uh, if you know anything about crucifixion, I mean, it's just ghastly. Ghastly is really the only word I can think of. But I, I really doubt it. I really doubt it. And that's that's a telling fact, isn't it? It's a telling fact. And, and that's really what it comes down to, is that knowledge is not worth dying for. The truth is. And truth is accessed through humility. It's accessed through our humility and our acknowledgement that we aren't the authors of our life. We are in service to a supreme intelligence that is all-loving, forgiving, all-powerful, too. And the important thing is that this supreme intelligence is very just and has a, has a sense of fairness that is perfect. And what that means, of course, is that, you know, because this intelligence has a sense of fairness that's very perfect, that means it has very high standards, right? You can look around nature, you know, nature is very balanced, extremely balanced, you know, full of harmony everywhere you look. Today, when I was walking through my little creek, so many incredible things are just working in harmony all the time. And... What that tells you is that the intelligence which designed all of this has an incredibly fine-tuned sense of fairness and balance. But what that also further means is that we, which are capable of creating imbalance and destruction and you know, freely choosing to disobey the rules of the universe, the, to disobey our conscience, which has been God-given, uh, that that we really challenge that sense of fairness, right? And if you're Christian, that's really what the whole fall of mankind is all about. And why, subsequently, the only payment for that inevitable fall was the blood of Jesus, which was a perfect, sinless life, an example of how we should live, the image of God. You know, the image of God is an interesting idea because there's so much debate about that, but... Here, here's my particular take on it. Ultimately, God doesn't have a physical body, okay? And so being in his image doesn't mean that. 
necessarily, but I mean, it could, who knows? Because technically as a Christian, we believe in Jesus. That's part of the Trinity. So maybe there's something to it, but really, you know, what does it really mean? Well, image is a representation, right? We are representatives of the infinite intelligence that is forgiving, love, just, that created this world. And so in order for us to be representatives, we have to be humble, right? We can't believe that we're the infinite intelligence, which is what new age thought and personal growth movement really puts on you because they can sell you something. You know, they put you this idea that you're the creator, that you're the infinite intelligence, just secretly experiencing itself as a an individual, and that's just categorically refutable. I mean, we won't necessarily go into it here because I've gone into it before, but it's categorically refutable. And I mean, just try to levitate yourself, and if you can't, then there's your answer, plain and simple. So ultimately. It does. It goes back to that whole idea of what do you do when there's loss, when there's death, when there's suffering? What do you do? Do you feel like an infinite intelligence experiencing itself at that time? No, you don't. And this because you aren't, and and that's okay. You know, it's it's actually you are free when you surrender this idea. Freedom, ironically, comes from the surrender of this illusion we call free will. It doesn't come from acting on that free will by constantly trying to find knowledge and hacks and strategies on how to manipulate reality and, and create it for your own magnification. That's the personal growth, new age slash consumeristic, materialistic paradigm that we live in. It's this individual paradigm where the individual is platformed, this illusion of freedom and independence. I mean, that's all, that's all ego. You're not able to be humble and access true spiritual knowledge, truth, right, with a capital T, which leads to morality, which allows you to fulfill your real purpose, which is in the service of the divine through your unique gifts. Nobody has your unique gifts. You're born completely unique. Even if somebody cloned you, they couldn't reproduce the point in time in which you were born, which gave you a specific set of experiences. And so we all have a very unique perspective to contribute in the service of this divine intelligence that is guiding creation, that is the source of life. It's not our purpose. This is where, again, we get lost with all of the success worship and self-pursuits, trying to find our purpose. Then we get disillusioned because we don't have a life purpose. And, you know, it's just this narcissistic nonsense. I mean, ultimately... You have to give up this this idea that you can plan your life ahead, 5, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. I mean, it's not going to happen. Your plan can never be better than the divine intelligence that has a, a, everything under its control, right? So that means this whole idea of you creating your own life purpose is nonsense. It really is. Now, you can have input, right, into how you serve that divine intelligence with your unique gifts. And that's where listening comes in place. You got to listen. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about, hey, what are my gifts and how can I be of service to learning more about the truth, sharing the truth with others, helping other people, bringing love into the world, 
just simply following the instructions we were given from the very beginning, right? And that's, you know, that's a co-creative process for sure. But again, I still feel that most of it is just listening. It's listening for input because we, our brains are not capable of coming up with the answers to the biggest questions in life. They really aren't. It's only going to lead you to more misery. And so that's why in, in the Bible, the Psalms say the beginning of knowledge, true knowledge, is the knowledge of the Lord. It's the knowledge of God. And what does that really mean? It means humility, because when you're humble, you allow that infinite intelligence to work through you and inspire you and to guide you and to give you ideas and to make you see clearly. That's really the beginning of wisdom. Rather than you thinking, you know what, I'm just going to learn more, I'm going to read more books, get more strategies from other fallen men who are imperfect. I mean, that's nonsense. You're just going to spin your wheels and never get anywhere spiritually. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We are, you know, nobody can guarantee you tomorrow. Nobody. Nobody on the face of the earth can do that. Right? So it's pointless to obsess over so much planning and so much stuff. But most people do. That's why truth is a lonely path. I mean, most people are just so stuck in their matrix of assumptions of what's going to happen and where they're going, what's life going to look like five years from now, what's going to look like a year from now, what they're going to do then, you know, what they're going to spend their money on. I mean, it's just we have these constant conversations in our minds that really when you look at them, they're just completely useless because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We just simply aren't. That's a fact. That is a fact. The question is, did you thank God this morning when you woke up? I did. And I'm not saying that to brag, but, you know, it's just something that has really become a habit in my life to thank God. Thank you for this day. Thank you. It's a gift. Live one day at a time. Of course, you should have some plans, you know, here and there. It's important. But when you're guided by spirit, most of the time, the plans reveal themselves to you and they handle themselves. They really do. I mean, it's just, it's, it's uh, pretty fascinating when you just allow that to happen in your life. So that's what it is to be in the image of God. And, you know, the thing is, we, we get into this maybe a philosophical conundrum, right? Because it's like, well, is self a negative thing? Is ego bad? And I don't like to use the word ego, but self, basically. And so, you know, ego is, first, I'm going to take a Christian perspective, which is looking at the how we were created. Christian cosmology, meaning how were we created from a Christian perspective. And again, you can have your own perspective of cosmology, but ask yourself, where do I get that perspective? Do you really think it's from science or from X, Y, Z? You know, do your research. And so for me, it's the Christian perspective, which is that we were created to be good in the sense everything was, everything creation was good. And what that means is that if you look at the specifics of that, we were created to have a name, Adam and Eve. We were created to have a gender, right? Uh, we were created to have the ability to choose, obviously. <laughs> we were created to have a conscience, Right? So all these things are very plainly laid out in the Christian perspective of creation. And so what that comes to, if you really add it all together, is that we were created to have a self. And of course, if we are the image or representatives of the divine on earth, 
to the animals, to each other, then it stands to reason that we need a self or awareness of self to accomplish that goal. Right? And so, but, but there's, there's a problem there, isn't there? Because self is also the root of all evil and suffering, <laughs> you know? So that's really the dance of life to me. It's just this dance between what is the minimal amount of self that I need to obviously interact in the world, right? Self-awareness to speak, to use my gifts, to enjoy the world, right? To fulfill my own purpose, to be in relationships, to procreate, right? If, if that's your thing. But ultimately, we need a self to do that. But is the self bad? No, it's not. You need the self to do those things, to fulfill your purpose. That's why I don't agree with this whole new age slash Eastern mystic idea that the ego needs to be dissolved. Well, that's a half truth if you really look at it. I mean, yes, is it true that the self generates desire and fear and, you know, all of these things? Yes, it's true. That is true. It's absolutely true. But now how do we solve that problem? You know, it's like in health, like if you have a particular problem, like a little cold, Let's say you have a cold, right? Well, you're going to throw antibiotics at it? No, you're not, because you don't need to. You don't need to do that. But, you know, doctors used to do that, and I think they still do. And so ultimately, how do you solve the problem is the question. And so with a spiritual problem of, of the ego, the, the, pro, the solution is not trying to eliminate it and hack your mind. I mean, there's been so many studies on the negative impacts of meditation. Um... And I mean, it's just wild if you really look into it, you know, uh, or sort of this idea of just transcendental meditation or yoga even. I mean, look up Mike Shreve, great example for Kundalini yoga. I mean, nothing against you if you do these things, but again, why do you believe what you believe? And do you know the history of these things and what they were intended for? They were supposed to be mystical practices to facilitate a mystical experience, to facilitate things like astral projection, you know, and the question is, do you really think, do you have the pride? Is your pride so high that you think you can have control over your consciousness once you release it into the spiritual realm? That's a good question, isn't it? It's like that story of the acolyte summoning the demon. Well, there's not much of a story because the acolyte's not around anymore, if you get the point. And so a lot of these practices, they give you a half-truth, which is, yes, it's true that, you know, ego is... But you see, I don't like using ego because it's already telling you that the self is negative. The self is just the self. It's a tool. You need yourself. You need your sense of identity. But the question is, how much do you pander to that identity, right? Our true identity is as the image of God. It's, this, it's being in service to the divine. And that identity is a function of humility. And therefore, it leads to real truth that you could die for. It leads to morality. It leads to, you know, all the good things of life. It leads to peace. It leads to freedom. You're not attached to the material world. But you still have a self. You still have a sense of self, a name. You know, you have certain things that you do. Or maybe you like to wear certain clothing. I mean, that's totally fine. Right? But when you go into this paradigm of 
constant personal growth and success and, and ascension and you know materialism you know live your best life now kind of stuff you are just anchoring that self down more and more to the physical world which prevents you from really being humble and accessing the guidance of the holy spirit guide accessing the guidance of the divine because you're you're reinforcing that self more than what it needs to be basically So, and that's, you know, comes back to our main point, which is truth is a lonely road rather than being on good, uh, a road of, I'm going to butcher this, but being on the path to nowhere with good company versus being on the path to truth with a capital T and being alone. Right. And so, you know, most people are unfortunately in that materialistic Phase in that sense of identity based on themselves rather than identity based on service to the divine. I'd be willing to die for that identity. I'd rather not, but I'd be willing to die for that. But the question is, are you willing to die for the identity that you build up? Your house, your car, you know, these materialistic concerns and the answer for most people probably would be no so then why are you putting so much attention there right what are the things that really matter you know they say time is the most valuable resource but I, I don't think it is I think that there's something actually under that and that's faith faith is the most valuable resource because think about it when you have faith in something, you really believe in it, you're really excited about it, you're really passionate about what it is. Well, time seems to fly, doesn't it? But if you don't believe in something, if you <laughs> think something is bound to you know, fail or it's a scam or you know, whatever, it's very easy to get impatient isn't it or worried or you know time feels like it's forever it's just moving so slowly right that's really a factor of our patience and patience is a factor of faith whether you believe or not so faith is the most valuable resource time is just something that happens it passes by and it, it doesn't really even exist it's just an, it's an experience of the world around us so faith is really underneath that and true the, the path toward truth of the capital T is what strengthens your faith which is your most valuable resource faith is the mother of all virtues faith and humility pretty much whereas the path of good company it's nice but at the end of the day it doesn't give you any permanent benefit to your spirit. I mean, it doesn't give you this foundation. It doesn't give you the strength to weather the condition of being human, which is, again, death and suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. It's great to have friends that are there for you. And that's when you truly find out who your, who your real friends are. It's when you go through something like that. Um, some great period of suffering or, you know, some loss, betrayal, somebody dies, whatever. 
that's when you find out where your true friends are and and that's important you know but you know what I'm talking about is just superficial things again like I don't even go to the movies anymore I used to love going to the movies but <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing to see all the movies you go to are just programming they're programming you with some occult agenda and it's just nonsense all of it's just nonsense even the Disney ones my gosh I mean it's all nonsense you know and so you have friends that want to go and see you know I don't know Eternals or some other nonsense movie and you're like <laughs> why why would you waste your time right oh but it's gonna be fun we're gonna be all together we're gonna be in good company right <laughs> And so if you get to the point where you're like, you know what, even with the good company, quote unquote, that to me is just a wasted amount of time because then I have to go there and chit chat about stupid stuff. I have to go talk afterward about the movie, about things that I just don't care about, you know? So I don't know, maybe it sounds scroogey. Maybe it sounds scroogey to you, but to me, that's just wasted time. I'd rather do something more spiritually involved, something that's true. Let's talk about some real stuff, man. And you may find yourself in those situations. And I pray that you can navigate them (laughs) because it can be frustrating. It certainly can be frustrating. But remember, you know, real truth, real truth begins with humility. Begins with letting go of the material world. It leads to morality increased morality, like increased faith, courage, love, generosity, all that kind of stuff. And it's worth dying for in the end. It really is, right? I mean, look how many people throughout history that were standing up for something true uh, that were dying. Now, there's also, of course, the counter-argument is how many people have died for something that was not true, like these suicide bombers, right, That, that were killing other people in the name of religion. Yes, of course, there's those examples too. Uh, But, you know, they were deluded. They were deluded into thinking that this was the objective truth, right? And so they still died for something that they thought was objectively true. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not condoning it at all. But the point is that when you have that sense of truth, you're willing to die for it. Now, the question is, how do you know that it's true? Well, you have to do your due diligence. That's where that God-given discernment and conscience comes into play, right? And this is why, again, to me, I come back to Christianity because you'll never see a Christian suicide bomber. You just never will. I mean, nothing against other religions, but the reality is that the Christian answer to the problem of being human has a very specific answer. It's a very highly moral answer. It's a very um, minimalist and humble answer, right? And so that's really what it comes down to is what do you believe and why do you believe it? You have to analyze that. You have to employ your doubt and discernment and your conscience, above all your conscience. Is this the right thing to believe? Does that make sense in a spiritual sense? Right, and that will guide you to the truth. I believe that everybody can come to the to the truth. There is one truth. It's not like all truths are equal. That's not what we're saying here. There is one truth, 
And I think that we're all equipped to discover it. Let's put it that way. We are all equipped to discover it through our sense of discernment, through our sense of conscience. But most people are just asleep. And that's really what it's about. Just asleep at the wheel. And I pray that more people wake up because it would be nice to have a lot of good company on the road to the truth. But still, it's better to be on the road to the truth. So ask yourself, what road are you on today? Where are you going? And where is that road leading you? Is it leading you to more faith, more courage, more love, more truth with a capital T? Is it leading you to a place that you'd be willing to die for? I mean, that's a really serious question, isn't it? If the answer is no, then what that means really is that you are walking towards something that magnifies yourself. Because when we align with something that's much, much, much infinitely greater than ourselves, our individual selves, that is something that we're willing to die for. Obviously, again, we don't want to die, but that's something we're willing to die for spiritually. And and that is the place worth walking to. When you realize that, every other place just becomes meaningless. I don't, you know, you stop caring about all this stuff in the world. So ask yourself, where are you walking to today? And I hope to see you there. <laughs>